Good morning. You guys sounded great singing today. I'm not a particularly good singer, but I noticed today that if I'm sitting in front of the Hall family, I feel like I am a good singer. So thank you guys. I want to acknowledge uh, Josh and Ethan. It's their last Sunday today before they return to Bob Jones, so we'll pray for them uh, in our pastoral prayer here in a moment. Do you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible? And it's great to see all of you guys today. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father... These continue to be trying times for our nation. This was another ugly week. We've been through so much as a society in the past year. There is so much division and disunity. There is so much hatred in our world and society. Lord, let us be people who pray for our community and for our nation and for revival in your nation. Lord, the only answer is your gospel and a love of Christ. Lord, in a society that is increasingly divided, may we be uniters. In a nation that is increasingly combative, may we be peacemakers. Lord, we pray that you would use this text to point us to the unity that you desire from us. May we practice that in our church, but may it also influence the attitude that we have with our spouses, with our children, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, and with total strangers. Lord, may we be a people who do shine the light of the gospel in all of our relationships and interactions that we have with others. Lord, in a world where there is so much hatred, we pray for this church and that we would be a people who are noticeably different from that. May we be a church who point people to Christ through our words, actions, the gospel, and our love for our neighbors. Lord, we pray that you would use us to be your hands and feet in our community. We pray for opportunities to share and show the love of Christ. Lord, in these tumultuous times, may we not be weighed down by the problems of the world, but may we look up to our great God. Lord, for anyone who is feeling especially discouraged today, I pray for comfort for them. I pray for peace for them. Lord, we pray for Wendell as he's in the hospital Lord, I pray for a quick recovery for him, for the doctors who are taking care of him. Lord, I want to pray for Donna, as this is very difficult on her as well. Lord, I do want to pray for recovery. Lord, I pray for Aldine, as she too is in the hospital. And we're so encouraged to hear that she is on the upswing. I want to just continue to pray that she recover more and more and be able to return back to her home soon. Lord, I do pray for Josh and Ethan as they get ready to return to to college. Lord, I want to pray for safe travels down there. I want to pray for a great semester. I want to pray for another semester where there aren't any major issues with COVID on campus. 
Lord, I pray that they can fill their minds with knowledge and use that to serve you and glorify you. Lord, we pray that you would bless our time in your holy word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I mentioned music a moment ago. Music, it's a beautiful thing. Everyone likes music. We never meet anybody who says, no, I I hate music. Most things, some people like, some people don't like. I really like football, by the way, Ohio State tomorrow night. Some people don't. And the older I get, the more I appreciate the fact that it's just some people don't like the game. That's fine. Some people really like ballet. I can appreciate it. I don't really know anything about it. Some people really like chess. Other people, you know, the, on and on and on. Everyone likes music. Maybe not the same types of music, but we all like music. It's something that brings joy. We just celebrated Christmas a couple weeks ago. Those Christmas classics become so much a part of the fabric of the holiday season. Classic songs by people like Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole. It's almost like they take us back to other times of family. Same thing with popular songs that are meaningful in our lives. Perhaps you have a song that you hear and it automatically takes you back to when you were in high school or a certain time in your life. Music can do that. It's a powerful thing. Music builds community. Music can inspire us. Music can move us. We don't always notice the music, but so often it's in the the background of our lives. The restaurants that we go to, the stores where we shop. I one time had ESPN on and the highlights was especially loud on the volume. And I realized that they had music playing in the background while they're showing highlights talking about the highlights. Music is just part of our lives. And throughout the Bible, we see how important music is in our worship of God. Part of the beauty that comes from music is the unity that's needed in performing a song or a piece of music. If the different instruments were playing different notes or different songs, that would not be an enjoyable listening experience. If every one in the band just suddenly decided to try to play their favorite songs simultaneously. Or if music was playing and someone decided to start singing different lyrics to the music being played. That would make no sense. For music, for it to be the great joy that it is, we need the band or the orchestra or the chorus or the singers. We need them to be singing and performing the same song. We need unity. And as a church, to function properly as the body of Christ, we too need to be playing the same song. We're continuing in our New Year's series. Last week we talked about the importance of personal holiness. And today we're talking about unity. And the plan next week, Lord willing, is to talk about evangelism. I picked those three topics and they're expanding. Holiness, we're focusing on the individual. Unity, we're focusing on the church. Evangelism, we're focusing outside the church on the community and the world. So today we focus on unity, and we're looking at Philippians chapter 2. And as we begin, just to give a couple of quick notes about Philippians. Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of Philippians from jail. But despite being imprisoned when he was writing Philippians, it's, it's a very joyful letter. 
So much so that it's sometimes nicknamed the epistle of joy. But one of the things that Paul needed to address to the church at Philippi was the subject of unity. And we see him do that at more than one place in the book of Philippians. But today we'll just be really focusing on this one section from chapter 2. And so we'll look at this section in three parts today. And the main idea of this passage is to be the you in unity. So, first point. And we have the reason for unity, beginning in verse 1. It says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... That first verse can be one that if somebody says, what does this mean in isolation? It's kind of a challenging verse. And it's actually, theologically, it's a pretty loaded first verse. Because Paul makes four statements in this opening verse. And all of the statements are meant to be directed to the same type of person. A person who is a Christian who has trusted in Christ. So we'll cover these four statements briefly. Four ways the gospel impacts our lives. First, Paul talks about encouragement in Christ. That seems to be understood as the encouragement and comfort which comes from knowing Christ and having your salvation that is found in him. Second, Paul talks of comfort from love, which seems to refer to the comfort that comes from the love of God specifically. And knowing that God loves you, that that is the ultimate comfort that we experience and enjoy as Christians. Third, Paul talks about participation in the Spirit, which refers to a shared unity in the church. Because in the church, all believers are born again of the same Spirit, and we are are all sanctified by the same Spirit. So already... One of the things that we see in this passage is that this talk of unity is Trinitarian. That it's getting at the works of all three persons of the Trinity in the life of a believer and in our salvation. That we know the love of God, that we are saved through Christ, that it is the Spirit working in us. And on a side note, the Trinity is significantly also unified in purpose and in the plans of the work of the triune God in the world throughout history. God exists in perfect unity within his own triune nature. Back in our passage in Philippians, the fourth point Paul talks about in verse 1, he says, any affection and sympathy. And Paul is talking about the changed life and emotions that should come from a person who knows the Lord. It's the fruit of salvation. It's a care and concern that we're called to love and serve one another. So we take all four of those together. Paul is saying that this is what salvation looks like in verse 1. And that brings to a second point in verse 2. The command for unity. For the person who is a Christian, who knows Christ, who knows God's love who's active in a body of Christian believers by means of the Spirit, Paul gives this command. 
Complete mind joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Be the you in unity. Where Paul talks about being of the same mind, he's not saying people should lose their individuality or uniqueness. He's not saying that we should all become robots and yes men. But he's saying that we should be united in goals and direction as a church. Because when we have a church, and when we are a church where we are one in heart, we will become one in mind. If we are united in what we value, that fosters unity in what we do. And Paul is emphasizing the importance of being joined and united in verse 2 when he keeps adding further elaboration on what it looks like for Christians to be united. But that's how the church is supposed to function. Carrie and I will sometimes watch a TV show called Secrets of the Zoo. Maybe some of you have seen it before. It's an enjoyable show about zoos. And the first season is about the Columbus Zoo, America's best zoo. I am biased, but if you Google best zoos in America, it's pretty much always going to be in the top three. Um, So the Columbus Zoo is the focus of the first season. And one of the things I noticed throughout the first season is, let's say they'll be doing a procedure on a, on a polar bear. And they'd be like, Stella, or whatever the bear's name is, Stella's such a great bear. She's a great bear. Or let's say they, they would be feeding a hippo. And they'd be like, Tommy is, he's such a great hippo. He's just, he's the best hippo. And I always thought, what does that even mean, a great bear? How, how is a, a bear a great bear? Or a hip? But then we got a dog, and we always say, she's such a great dog. Because they do what hippos do and what bears do and what dogs do. And what Christians are supposed to do is to be unifiers. When I was applying to churches a couple years ago, most churches have questionnaires that they send. Our church sent me a questionnaire. I forget if the committee asked me this specific question. I don't think they did, but I don't remember, to be honest. But a common question that I would have gotten a couple years ago on this questionnaire is, would be about my preferences for worship styles in the service. That's an important question. It's an important question, but I also think that if you're committed to unity within the church, that it's not the most important issue. By the way, I really appreciate everyone who does music for us. Again, I'm not a musical person, so I appreciate people who are. There should be principles that matter in our worship and in our worship music. We should sing songs that are biblically faithful. We should sing songs that point people to God and the goodness and glory of God. We should sing songs that are edifying and worshipful, and songs that are not shallow and focused on man. And music certainly is just one example, but it's an important example in the church because it's an issue that people oftentimes have opinions on. Because it matters and is important. But if the music is checking all those boxes and it's music that's glorifying to God and helping people in their worship, if it does that, the style of the music is not the most important thing. I'm not saying that it's insignificant. 
So many people leave churches for things like that, and that's not really a good reason to disunite. But again, that's just one example. I've talked before in multiple sermons about crazy reasons why people leave churches. Again, music is a major reason. Carpeting. Thankfully, I'm not aware of anybody who... uh, I love our new carpeting we got this summer. Choir robes, or a lack of choir robes, or a lack of having a choir, or on and on and on. All sorts of reasons why people get unhappy with churches and leave perfectly good churches. And when that happens, it's clear that the person's priority was not unity. Their priority was not the love for the church. And I think that can be especially difficult in American churches. Because if we're not happy with the church, it's so easy just to find another church. And we live in a small town, but even within 20 to 25 minutes, there's tons of options. It's so easy to uproot and just go to the next church. And in bigger cities, there are some people who never truly get connected to a church at all. Because there's always one other thing that isn't just quite perfect. Ironically, not realizing that they're also part of the what's not perfect. We're fallen, sinful people. I've heard this said before, that if you could find a perfect church, as soon as you got there, it wouldn't be anymore. (laughs) But it's so easy just to keep going to the next church, trying to find exactly what satisfies what we're looking for, thinking that we know what would be absolutely perfect. Again, it happens all the time. And again, there can certainly be legitimate reasons why a person walks away. Theological issues, doctrinal issues. Those are good reasons. But in my experience, those aren't usually the reasons why a person uproots and leaves a church. Now, in the first century, when Paul was writing to the Philippians, they didn't have churches everywhere you looked. And actually, if you look at the book of Acts, chapter 16, there was no church at all in Philippi. Paul started it. So he didn't just have churches on every corner. And so this church needed to figure it out. But the command for unity that he gave to the Philippian church is just as much something that we need to strive for today as a church. And it's also an area where we have to continually work on being a unified and unifying church. Because right now I do think that we have very good unity and agreement on things. But that's something that needs to constantly be worked on. Because while it's good today, there's no guarantee that it'll be good five years from now. Or five months from now. It must continually be something that we're working on and striving for and on board with having unity and caring about the church itself. 2020 was the year where many churches were pushed to the brink in terms of unity. It was a challenging year. Different opinions about COVID and how to handle that. Different opinions over politics. Different opinions over social issues. 2020 was rough. Not after the great start that 2021 is. All of these are important things. They're all important. Again, when I talk about unity, I'm not calling us to mindlessness. 
But it is a call to make unity a priority. And that it's our job as Christians to emphasize unity within the church and amongst each other. Unity is meant to be a reflection of the gospel. That we have a gracious Savior who loves us. And that we are supposed to be gracious and love one another. Unity matters because we need each other. There's a lie that's spreading in American society among people who identify as Christians that really undermines the importance of the church. That you can do your own thing. You can pursue your own spirituality. Not a biblical idea. No such thing in the New Testament as a Christian who's not part of the church. But our society, we like to pick a pastor who we like and just watch his sermons online and act like he's our pastor. Like that's just as good. It's not. Nothing wrong with watching a pastor on TV or listening to one on the radio or reading Christian books. Nothing wrong with that. As long as they're doctrinally sound. But it's important to know that that person is not your pastor. I remember one time at a former church, I promise that this is not this church, but at a former church, somebody talked about a favorite pastor who was a well-known person. He said, this is my favorite pastor. And I'm thinking, I don't think he meets with you every week. I wasn't offended because I just know how common that way of thinking has become. No matter how many insights we gain or what we learn about the Bible from somebody on TV or the radio, that's not our church and that's not our pastor. And the board of that church, their elders or bishops or deacons, are not the people who know us and care about us and pray for us. We're actually called to be part of a church. That it's the body of believers. That it's important to actually be doing life together. To be growing together and struggling together. As Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So we've explained what unity is and that we're called to pursue unity as a church. Third point The process of unity. Verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's not saying that this is an exhaustive guide to unity, but it is a pretty good start. There are two primary areas of focus in this process. Beginning in verse 3, where Paul says to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He calls upon the people to instead be humble. Again, keep in mind, Paul's writing in the first century. During the Roman Empire. In that society and culture, humility was not considered to be a virtue. Our society says we value humility, although I don't know if we actually really do, but the Romans definitely did not value humility. If anything, it was seen as a weakness. Humility is not self-loathing. Humility is not thinking that you're really great, but just acting like you're not, even though that you think that you're really great. I like C.S. Lewis's definition of humility. 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It takes a focus off of ourselves, our wants, our needs. And that's consistent with how Paul describes humility in this passage. Because it is in the spirit of humility that Paul instructs the Philippians to count others more significant than yourselves. And certainly the Bible in general has much to say about humility. Proverbs 3, 34 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The same verse is picked up in James 4, 6 and also in 1 Peter 5. It's an important idea in the Bible. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And here again, we have Paul exhorting the Philippian church toward humility. And that has gospel impact. In the following section of Philippians, Paul will point out the humility of Jesus specifically. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born again, I'm sorry, being born in the likeness of men. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, Philippians 2.7 is one of the most theologically dense verses in the entire New Testament. So we can't fully unpack everything that that verse means. But one important idea where Paul describes Jesus, that we have Jesus, he is glorious, Jesus is God, Jesus is eternal, he is almighty. But even Jesus was humble during his life in the world. He was fully submissive during his life and ministry to the will of God. In his humility, this glorious Christ, who was in the beginning, the eternal word, who was perfect and sinless, went to the cross. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was humbly obedient to the Father. Our society likes to glorify people. We like to glorify talent. We like to glorify geniuses and prodigies. Jesus was the one in whom the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. And yet he humbled himself before God. I was reading a commentary from Charles Spurgeon, and he brought up an observation I had never thought of. But Jesus went 30 years without even being in his ministry. 30 years. Of being perfect. But his humility to wait for his time in ministry. All of it is to the glory of God because it is because of Jesus' humility and his submission to God. Through that, we get the gospel and ourselves can be saved from our sins. And one of the ways that we can show humility is through being humble to God's word and his commands in Scripture. 
It matters to God that we be unified as a church. That's always true. But today I think of the especially high level of disagreement and disunity that there is in our society. And in contrast to that, it should especially stand out to the world, to our neighbors, to our community, that we have a commitment to unity. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, that isn't to say that we can't have opinions. That isn't saying that at the proper times we shouldn't make those opinions known. We have a church budget that we vote on. That's a good time to speak up. We have a church board that we vote on. That's a good time to make your voice heard. We have an annual meeting. We have times throughout the year where it's important that people in the church say what's on their heart and share. And certainly we're always willing to hear concerns. And people sometimes do personally share with me concerns. And I appreciate that when people do. Because I never want anyone to feel like they can't speak up. It's not my church. It's not the board's church. It's Christ's church. And it's our role to serve him through his church. So again, don't understand, don't misunderstand when I talk about unity. Because the point isn't that we should never raise concerns or suggestions or thoughts. But I think part of where humility comes through within the life of a church is being able to have a healthy, agreeing to disagree attitude on things that are not major doctrinal matters. And again, I think all of that is worth bringing up because there are churches that can misuse verses like these and be very authoritarian and top-down and controlling. This verse is not calling to total and absolute submission, but that it is important to have humility, to know that we're fallen people, to pray for our church, to pray for the collective wisdom of our leaders and of our church that we be honoring to Christ. And within the church, it's important to have humility. And again, I think of the reasons why people so often walk away from churches. They're so often not about major doctrinal differences. So often, people leave because they didn't get their way. And that is not a biblical reason. It's important to major in the majors. The gospel is a major. The inerrancy of the word is a major. The divinity of Christ is a major. But a lot of things are not major issues. And in those areas, there needs to be grace and love for the church. And the unity of the church should supersede any minor issue. Verse 4 Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's an important principle. 
I should say, by the way, that I've never seen anybody in this church totally go against this principle. But I have seen it in other places. And I've heard stories from other pastors. People trying to throw their weight around, impose their will on a ministry. That's why I said earlier in this message that unity is something that a church must constantly work on and work towards. I think of in America, we have so many options for everything. Where every business that we interact with lives and dies on our satisfaction. Bad publicity and negative reviews, how destructive those are to businesses where we shop, can result in lost sales. And I think churches oftentimes end up falling into this customer service attitude that is so common. I think it's especially true in large churches, but I think churches of any size can fall into that way of thinking. Unity cannot exist in a church with people who are only looking out for themselves, where people are takers. And so what this passage does is serves as a reminder of the attitudes that we have within the church. And again, I should say that I do appreciate all of you. I appreciate this church. I've seen so many ways how people have served one another, been kind to one another, and I'm sure there's a thousand more ways that I don't even know of in the last year. I think that unity is something that's important to be reminded of from time to time because so many churches in our society are so unhealthy and dysfunctional. So as I conclude today, I have a list of seven principles of unity. If you follow our Facebook page, I posted this on there yesterday. Seven principles of unity that come from a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great German pastor and theologian who was actually executed by the Nazis during the Holocaust. Um, But Bonhoeffer, a lot of his writing, he thought a lot about Christian community and unity. And so just consider these for a moment. Hold their tongues refusing to speak uncharitably about a Christian brother. Again, if we have an issue with a person, we can go to a person. But gossip is so toxic and destructive in relationships, undermining people. Second, cultivate the humility that comes from understanding that they, like Paul, are the greatest of sinners and can only live in God's sight by his grace. Again, that's an important reminder. That we like to think that we know what the answer is. We are just as fallen as everyone else. Carrie used to work in medical sales. I think a lot of times we think of doctors, they, they know what they're doing. And, um, Carrie, having spent quite a bit of time with doctors and in hospitals, yeah, they're very good. I, I don't want to discourage any of us, but they're still people and they're still fallible. Third, listen long and patiently so that they will understand their fellow Christians' need. I think Bonhoeffer wrote these with me in mind. Um, Again, it can be so easy to want to speak, to think we have the answer. But it's important to approach interactions 
And so there are people who might not agree, who still have valid opinions, who can sometimes actually be right. And again, having that humility. Fourth, refuse to consider their time and calling so valuable that they cannot be interrupted to help with unexpected needs, no matter how small or menial. Again, I think that's a a strength of our church. I think we have a lot of people who are happy to serve. But it's still important to to be reminded of that and to keep that that mentality and that heart. Um, Fifth, bear the burden of their brothers and sisters in the Lord, both by preserving their freedom and by forgiving their sinful abuse of that freedom. grace, the forgiveness that we're called to show to one another. Sixth, declare God's word to their fellow believers when they need to hear it. Again, having a high view of scripture and appreciating the impact that God's word can have on a person's life. Not using it as a club, but using it to point people to wisdom, to truth, and to life. Seventh, Bonhoeffer says, Understand that Christian authority is characterized by service and does not call attention to the person who performs the service. That's not about leaders. Again, I think so often we put people on pedestals that we are a church serving together, the hands and feet of Christ together, working on God's mission and purposes together. That we're in a team. And again, that we're called together to be playing the same songs. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the love that people in this church have for one another. Lord, I pray that it can be an area where we are continually growing, going from good to great, continually pursuing that, growing together, challenging each other like knives sharpening knives. Lord, I pray that you bless people who have health concerns with COVID. Lord, that they're part of our church too. And I know many of us are in touch Lord, I pray for them. I continue to pray that throughout this year, more and more things can get back to normal. And more and more, we can get back to all the activities that we love and value as a church and as people. Lord, I pray that you bless this week in our lives. Lord, I pray that you put people in our lives and we have chances to bless, to pray for, to serve. Lord, may we be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen.